Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Nick Bear. He's the founder of Bear Performance Nutrition, an endurance racer, YouTuber, and a podcaster. Being consistently good will beat being occasionally great. But consistency is hard to find when life throws setbacks, business failures, injuries, and babies at you. However, Nick has found a way to balance everything, and today we get to discover how. Expect to learn why doubters shouldn't affect your performance, why go one more is a useful rule for everything in life, how Nick avoids burnout when juggling lots of projects, where the drive to get up at 5am every day comes from, how gut instinct can beat brain power, and much more. Nick is uh, the guy's a beast. He ran a sub 250 marathon at 200 pounds. He's done ultra races. He's done 24 hour races. And this is all whilst running a huge supplement company and balancing a life and still keeping muscle mass on. He's a, an impressive guy. And he seems like I spent a good bit of time with him. Someone that's really filled with integrity and virtue. That's what he's optimizing for. I think he's a great role model. Don't forget that if you are listening, you should also have got a copy of the Modern Wisdom Reading List, 100 books that you should read before you die. It is free and available right now if you go to chriswillx.com slash books. Everybody needs new books to read, right? And here's a list of 100 with links and summaries and reasons about why I like them. chriswillx.com slash books. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things that you used to do in a day are taking a week. You're drowning so much, you've now promoted your dog from company mascot to customer service representative. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,025 and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, that is the 25th year anniversary of NetSuite. 25 years of helping businesses to do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system. With one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash modern. That's netsuite.com slash modern to get your own KPI checklist today. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, and gym-proof. They've got custom designs in gold and silver, necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings, and earrings. If you've seen me on any of the big cinema episodes on YouTube wearing a necklace, it will always be from Crafted. I absolutely love it. It works with formal wear, casual wear, whether it's daytime or nighttime. All of the pieces are super high quality. The designs are great, and uh, I love them. That's It's all I wear. Also, they have an unlimited lifetime guarantee so if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product they will give you a new one for free get a 15 percent discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cd wisdom and using the code mw15 at checkout that's bit.ly slash letter c letter d wisdom and mw15 at checkout this episode is brought to you by 
AG1. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Even with the best diet in the world, it is hard to make sure that you get everything that you need. And through a science-driven formulation, vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients, AG1 delivers comprehensive support for the brain, gut, and immune system. This is why Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman and Dr. Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss are all massive fans. They have tried every other product out there like I have, and this is by far the best one available. Since 2010, AG1 have improved the formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. Also, there's a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 89 days, and if you don't like it, they'll just give you your money back. Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nick Bear. Nick Bear, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me in the Bear Performance Podcast. Thank studio. you for having me here. It go, dude. It goes. It goes both ways right now. <laughs> How did you get on with your recent marathon? Oh, dude, it was great. I ran a two forty eight eleven, two hours forty eight minutes eleven seconds. The goal was to run sub two fifty. Um, that's coming off of. So to get some context, my first marathon was in 2018. This was a three-hour, 57-minute marathon, full suffer fest. My second marathon a year later was four hours, 15 minutes. I got worse. And I told people, I'm just not a runner. It's never going to happen. And then I finally committed to and stopped believing that. And after an Ironman, I said, I want to run my first sub-three-hour marathon. And I, wanna, I went through the process and journey and, and trained for it. And I, I failed. I ran three hours, 24 minutes. I realized it was a lot harder than I thought. I wasn't respecting that time. I went back into another prep and I ran a two hour, 56 minute, 27 second marathon. This was last January. And uh, then I realized, what's holding me back? The only thing that's holding me back is me. So I said, I'm going to run a sub 250. And we did it. We prepped. We went through the process, went through the journey, stacked the bricks, did the workouts showed up to Buffalo, New York with all the confidence in the world and crossed that finish line. Two hours, 48 minutes, 11 seconds. How'd it feel? It felt, it's, it's one of those things like you, I interviewed Matthew McConaughey a few months ago and he said, nothing is unbelievable. He hates the word unbelievable. Unbelievable. It happened. It happens. It's going to happen. So whenever I cross like, a finish line, this could be a finish line that's actually physically there or, you know, a goal that I've set. When you cross it, looking back, when you set that goal or that objective and you go through the process, if you have the confidence knowing you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You just need to put in the work now. So when I crossed the finish line, I wasn't like, holy crap, sub 250. It was, no, I knew after mile three, I was going to do it. Like you know how you're feeling that early on in the race. So it was, it felt really good because there was a lot of weight on the shoulders because I share my goals with the entire 
world or my audience for whoever's watching. I got to tell people months before it happens, this is what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to document and show you how I'm going to get there. So then when it's finally time for me to be tested, yeah, there's a lot of weight on my shoulder that I carry. But I think that pressure also provides some power in how I'm going to perform race day. It's interesting thinking about what happens when people set themselves targets and they they slowly build up success over time. Because you're right, saying that something is unbelievable or you can't believe that something happened, when that was the outcome that you were working toward, that's actually what you meant to have happen. And it's the same thing with the podcast or with the supplement company or with whatever it is that you're doing. The growth, the increase in sales, the increase in subscribers, the impact that you have... That's the thing that you were working toward. That shouldn't be unbelievable. I think you're right, and words have power. Um, I, I just think it's mindless sometimes people say that it's unbelievable. What they actually mean is it's impressive, or that's something that's that's a, a, a sizable accomplishment. They don't mean that it's unbelievable. Maybe unbelievable for them in their position at the moment. But yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable, or at least unlikely for you in 2018, when you ran one hour slower than you did only a few years later. Well, one of the things I like to say is uh, it's around the word doubt. I think, I think the word doubt is a very powerful word because doubt is only dangerous when you start doubting yourself. My entire life, like people have doubted me as they should. Like, there's nothing, there was nothing, there is nothing special about me. When I started my business in 2012, people made fun of me. They would laugh and joke about like, Oh, here's Nick with his BPN supplement company. And they would laugh and joke and they all doubted me. My mentors, professors, people I worked for, like my bosses all doubted me. And doubt is okay. Like anyone can doubt you. But until you start believing that doubt, when you start doubting yourself, that's when it's dangerous. Did you end up with a chip on your shoulder because of that? No. Yeah, no. that's that. I, I thought that that would be your answer and it seems surprising. So in the UK, that would be the sort of narrative where a lot of people, certainly some of my friends, that would be something they'd remember for a long time. You know, the crossing the finish line would be, this is a middle finger to all of the people that doubted me or moving into a new office for the supplement company or whatever, hitting a new milestone with subscribers. That would be there. And I always wonder about the usefulness of uh, retribution uh, as a motivating force, because it can power you to do a lot of pretty impressive things but i'm not convinced it's the healthiest way to to move forward i think sometimes people just say that too like they say they have a chip on the shoulder and that's why they do the things they do because they actually don't look they don't take inventory and stock of of what they're actually feeling and experiencing and why they're doing something is it because you have so much passion and purpose behind what you're doing because for me whether people are cheering me on or not, I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm doing because I love it. Like I have passion and purpose behind it. And I see there's people that are benefiting from it and it's impacting other people's lives. Maybe those people are, you know, watching the YouTube videos or following the brand or maybe they're employees here where they're actually working in the HQ or maybe it's the sons and daughters of employees or, or significant others of employees that are impacted by the things that we do. So, yeah, like a chip on the shoulder is never, that's never been my oomph. It's never been my my reason why. It's because 
I'm doing something that I love doing with people that I love being surrounded by, that's my goal in life. Like, man, if I can do this the rest of my life, that's pretty freaking cool. Like, I get to do what I love to do with people I love doing it with. Sign me up. And the marathon is the last big thing before dad life, right? That is the last race on the horizon. And I had to convince my wife to let me do that one because we knew, we found out that we were pregnant when I was prepping for Rocky Raccoon, which is a hundred mile ultra marathon that we did in February. And uh, I knew I wanted to run a sub 250 marathon. And my goal with it was I wanted to document the whole journey And through the series, the goal was that someone should be able to watch our marathon prep series and they should be able to PR their next race. Like we wanted to provide them the tools, knowledge, and resources to PR their next race, whether that's their first race ever or their 10th marathon. And we felt a responsibility and obligation to do that through the series. So I talked to my wife and I said, I got to do one more race. We got to do this series. And she said, as long as it's before June, that's fine. So I found a race on May 29th, Buffalo, New York. I told my coach, Jeff Cunningham, I said, we need to find a race that has a a flat and fast course profile before June. Let's do it. He said, Buffalo, New York. So knock that out. And I have, I mean, as we're recording, this is June 9th. Our baby's due July 8th. So we're just about four weeks away. A baby girl, I cannot, I cannot wait. You've got this go one more ethos thing. With the impending dad life coming up, you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices in other areas of your life. And this is something I'm increasingly interested in as guys my age. I'm 34, you're 31. 31. You know, this is the period where you start to think about other people than yourself. And I'm fascinated by whether you've thought about some of the discomfort that you might go through in terms of having to make sacrifices or sucking at areas of your life that previously have been real sources of meaning or accomplishment or achievement for you. Are you ready for that? You ready for the fact that you're going to have to think about something else except for whatever's in front of you? I am ready for that chapter. I will say that probably a year and a half ago, I wasn't ready for that chapter. And it's one of those things like, uh, like once it became real, once we got pregnant, once my wife, you know, became pregnant and we knew, all right, we're about nine months out. It wasn't like this flip switched in my mind, but the best way to describe it is I run in the morning, right? And those morning runs for me provide a lot of solitude. And it's that one time where I have an hour, hour and a half every day. It's dark out. It's quiet. I don't have my phone. There's no notifications. My mind is clear. It is some of the most powerful moments of my day. And I need that more mentally than physically. And what used to happen during those morning runs is that solitude provided me ideas for where to take the business, how to grow the team, who needs hired, who needs fired. What can we do from a customer acquisition standpoint and strategy to to scale and keep growing? And I, I was filled, my cup was filled during those morning runs on how to grow this business. And I am forever grateful for that. But what started happening once we got pregnant was those moments of solitude in the morning started to evolve and transition. And what I used to start, or what I started thinking of was, how do I want to raise my daughter? What values and morals do I hope she gains from me? How am I going to do this? 
how do I set her up for success? And like, what does success look like? Is it independence? Is it being entrepreneurial? Is it being challenged and tested? How much do I let her fail? How much do I not let her fail? It's, it's, it's all these things I was asking myself in my morning runs. And that's where I started realizing, okay, my priorities are now shifting. My mindset was like molding on these morning runs of, I recognize and realize that this next chapter of life is real, it's coming, but my body and mind is almost prepared. It's like, it's preparing me for it. And uh, I'm going into, I'm, I'm not nervous at all. Everyone asks, are you nervous? Are you scared? No, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I know it's going to be super challenging. I know it's going to be hard, but selfishly, I also know I'm going to grow so much through this experience that I expect and anticipate it's going to make me a better business owner. It's going to make me a better leader. It's going to make me a better friend, better husband. Like It should only improve all aspects of my life. Are you saying that having a child is a self-development strategy? You know, it's hard to say right now because I still don't have a kid. I'm four weeks out. I'll let you know in a year. Yeah. I'll let you know. I, I could look back at this podcast and say, dude, I was wrong. But that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. What do you think is going to be the biggest challenge that you've got? The biggest challenge? Um, I think it's going to be balancing right now. I've become really good over the last 10 years of adding more onto my plate, being able to delegate some of that, but also absorb a lot. I'm the type of person that I will absorb a lot of responsibilities and obligations to keep things moving forward. I will hire people to help me achieve some of these things, but as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you learn how to juggle and handle a lot of things, right? I think one of the biggest challenges for me, and I've told my wife this already, I recorded a podcast with Steve Weatherford last week, and, and he told me, in life, you got to make sure your priorities align with your calendar. So it's one thing to say, I'm a family man. I care about my wife. I care about my my uh, daughter, I care about my business, I care about my employees. But look at your calendar. Does your calendar reflect what your priorities say? Like, Are they aligned? And uh, what's going to be hard for me, and I'll navigate it somehow, but I'm going to say my priorities are my wife, my daughter, my business, my fitness. But if I look at my calendar, will it reflect that? Yep. And that's what's going to be challenging. I know it's going to because, like I said, I've become really good at adding more things onto my life mm-hmm. and absorbing them rather than eliminating some that aren't as important and focusing and hyper-focusing on, on those select few. There's a book called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, and it's about time management and productivity and stuff like that. And he's got a concept in that. You'd love the book. I th- think mm-hmm. it would be a great thing for you to read as you go through this little difficult period. And he's got a, a, an idea that you need to decide in advance what you're going to suck at when you undertake a particular uh, project. Having a baby is an 18-year project-ish. And uh, I really like the idea of that because, especially if you're a go-getter, a lot of the time, when you start to feel things that you used to value in yourself drop away, the pain of that happening can take your focus away from the thing that you said was the priority right now. So I like the idea of deciding in advance that fitness Maybe condition's going to drop a little bit. I'm probably not going to be able to run as fast. I'm not going to be as mobile or as strong or as lean or as whatever. But that's what I've decided I'm going to suck at in order to look after wife, look after baby, ensure that business and employees and everything else is sorted. And then if there's time for fitness, fitness can come in. 
And <clears throat> a lot of the time when, when it looks at planning forward, I think people struggle with realizing that it's just for now, it's not for forever. So, you know, powerlifters and bodybuilders understand the concept of periodizing your training, right? I have a, a very specific goal that I'm trying to achieve over the next however long, and I'm going to adapt everything that I do to facilitate that one thing. But when it comes to doing our yearly plan, unless you're very, very intentional about what you've got coming up, you just think that this routine is going to be your routine forever. And looking at something like this and going, okay, I know that sleep's going to suffer, diet's going to suffer, maybe going to be some stress uh, interpersonally between me and my friend. I'm not going to be as social uh, like at all. I'm going to have time to see friends as much, all that stuff. Those are the things that you're going to suck at. This period of, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have friends for the rest of my life. That doesn't mean that I can never get back into fitness. But it does, the idea of sucking, choosing something that you're going to suck at means that at least for the next acute period of time, when that arises, when the inevitable discomfort of seeing condition drop off or fitness drop off, you go, well, yeah, this is a sign that I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing in a way. It's like, I, I knew that this was the entry price that I had to pay to be able to do this. I do like that where it's, it is, it is now, it is not forever. Because I see this question, this re response all the time in regards to this hybrid athlete training and, uh, and, and adding in races. So like for me, when I started getting into fitness, it was putting on size and strength. And me and my brother and we dad, my dad, we put on size and strength pretty well. We're built for it. So I got strong, I got big. And then I started running and I started losing some of the size. And the responses I was getting from people were, aren't you afraid to lose size and strength? And in the beginning I was, I was trying to avoid it. But then when you realize, well, in order for me to run this race or this marathon at a certain time or a pace or a distance, something has to give. Right, like something something has to give, and it goes back to keep when you keep adding things onto your life. When you look at almost like this this tower, and like if I keep adding things onto my life, and they're not really stuck, they're just you're just stacking them on top of each other. Eventually, something has to give, and when it gives, that whole tower falls. So like that's kind of how I've navigated this whole fitness space too. Is you know th there are seasons in life where I'm putting emphasis and prior priority on certain things. Right now, I want to focus on this race. With that will come a decrease in size and strength. That is okay. It is this temporary feeling for now, but it is not forever. It doesn't have to be forever. So I really like that concept. And I, I think more people, if they got used to that and comfortable with that, they could be a much more efficient at their goals in the present. Well, remember as well that the goal is to be an effective, fit, healthy human with a good, robust social network and a job you care about in 30 years' time. Like, that's the goal. What you're doing right now is supposed to facilitate that overall, and that means that you're going to go through these ebbs and flows. I mean, I'm, I'm screaming this to myself, right? This is a lesson that I very much need to learn. I think, what, I think we all are. Yeah, which is why it resonated so much. Talking about the hybrid athlete, hybrid CEO, future dad, thing at the moment how do you avoid burnout so you've spoken about the fact that you take on a lot of responsibility you were somebody that started the company on your own and if you needed to learn how to program because you couldn't afford a developer you'd go and do that and if you needed to do an all-nighter to pack supplements you'd do that how is it that you've transitioned from a period where you just continue to add more and more on top to one where there's more balance and where you're prepared to delegate control and to relinquish and to bring in other people and 
talent and stuff like that. Cause it's your baby, right? Yeah. It's your baby. And you're having to let that go. You're having to watch other people fuck about with your baby. I mean, it has to be very intentional. Like with BPN, I bootstrapped this thing. Um, Do you ever take outside funding? For the first time, we wrapped up a seed round investment about three weeks ago. That was the first time we ever... After nearly a decade. After a decade, you know, and up until a decade, no debt on the business. We never touched a line of credit. It was just we kept we kept investing back into the brand. I didn't take any money out of the business for the first five years. Didn't put myself on payroll until 2017. Started the business 2012. That AdSense money, baby. That sense money, YouTube. You got to keep me going. Hey, man, that's that's what I did. Like from 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 social media and making money on social media and YouTube. I took all that money and invested it back into the business to keep it afloat. Building a product based business and managing cash flow, that is tough. It ain't easy. So, um, yeah, boots bootstrap the business, and uh, I have reached. I will be honest. I have reached many times throughout the last ten years in a period of burnout. I, I, and what does, how does that manifest for you? Um, extreme fatigue, stress, exhausted. Um, the team can feel like creatively. I can't, I can't think I can't breathe. Like, and when I say burnout, maybe burnout isn't the best term or, or word to use. Um, I reach, I reach periods where I, I can feel that I've, I've done too much. I've taken on too much and I can pull back a little bit and, and kind of refine, reassess, make a better plan. But, you know, it was me, my brother, uh, my brother now is our COO, Joe, who you met, our director of operations, and John Byers, who's our warehouse manager now. It was us up until 2018 because I had to be very intentional with hiring. And I had to save a lot of that cash and cash flow for inventory. 2019, I had the first opportunity to hire uh, a media director, Jordan Utter. And I learned a lot through Jordan because when I hired Jordan, I realized I could offload and delegate a lot of my responsibilities, tasks, and duties. And when I offloaded that, it allowed me to work on the business rather in the business for a lot of things. So I learned a lot by hiring Jordan. How did you know that he was the first person you needed to hire? I tested. I knew I needed to hire a videographer and someone to handle media. And I tested about 10 other people. I would meet them on social media or online. I'd, I'd interview them. I'd fly them down. I'd test them for a video or two. They would stay with me in my house. And then... You did that with 10 people? For 10 people. For about a year and a half. I was very intentional with it. I believe in the term, hire slow, fire fast. And uh, I finally found Jordan. And he just got it. Like I could tell by the look and the feel of the video. He understood me. We shared the same values, moral, morals, principles. We could connect. Like he knew storytelling. He wasn't just trying to recreate what everyone else was recreating and doing as a creative. He wanted to do his own thing and put his own, his own spin on it. And I respected that a lot. So Jordan joined the team. I offered him a full-time job. And for me, that was scary. You know, it's like this guy was moving from Ohio to Texas. I was, uh, I was taking a, a, a chance on Jordan, but he was taking a chance on me as well. And I, I learned and realized the power of being able to delegate and, uh, 
and, and hand off some of my Legos, if you will. And then after Jordan, it was, okay, I see the power in that and what it's doing to build the brand. So I hired someone else for the creative space. Trey. Trey Freeman is now our, our VP of marketing. When I hired Trey, I realized, all right, now I'm building this marketing and media team and I can now focus on building the business in other areas. This is giving me a lot more time to actually think and not do. And from there, it was just intentionally adding more members onto the team. And the thing is, like when we hire, I'm not hiring based off of where you went to college or university or what your GPA was or or what tests and certifications you had. Deadlift. Max deadlift number. <laughs> that, it was not a fitness thing. You had to like fitness, but it was more so like if I met you and you were a good person, you could hold a conversation, you knew, you knew how to maintain relationships, you just were a good person in the beginning of building the business. I, I wanted you on the team. I didn't know what you were going to do, but I knew you had to be on the team. I want to build this with people like you. Well, it's a lot easier to teach skills than it is to teach traits, right? Somebody comes in with the correct traits and attributes. They have humor. They're good as a part of a team. They're resilient. They've got a growth mindset. They're psychologically stable. Try and teach somebody those things. Really, really difficult. Try and teach somebody. You taught yourself everything that you now need the people to come in and do. So you know that it's possible to teach that. But yeah, I mean... The Navy SEAL that I had on the show not long ago, this guy was talking about how uh, you, for the most part, companies hire on skills but fire on attributes. So when they're looking to bring somebody in, they do the credentialism. They look at the CV and where did you go to school and what can you program in and such like that. But when they get released, it's because they didn't work well as a part of a team or because they're humorless or because they're unable to go above and beyond or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. You go, okay, so why not flip that on its head? I don't presume that somebody that has the right traits and attributes will be able to acquire the skills that they need to be able to do the job. And instead, but what the reason for that is because HR departments, for the most part, are kind of just procedural, operational, like churn machines, right? It's like the uh, fulfillment department that we just saw in your factory. It's like, what is it that needs to go into this box? What's the easiest way to systematize that going into this box? Whereas if you've got something that you're building bit by bit, you can actually do it based on attributes. It's culture. You know, you're building culture. Me and some of the team here recently finished a book. It was called uh, No Rules Rule. And it's by the, the, the CEO of Netflix. And it's all about building culture within your organization. Now, Netflix has gone to some extremes, right? Where they hire based off of talent density. And they believe that if you hire based off of talent density, meaning you're hiring very talented people. And when you bring very talented people into an organization together and that talent is dense, they're going to feed and grow off of each other. I mean, they're going to create systems and infrastructure and ideas that are unimaginable, right? Like it's, it's, it's this powerful force that is moving forward. And when you hire talent density and you have talent density in your organization, you can pull back on some of the controls. So at Netflix, they didn't have a PTO policy. It was unlimited PTO, uh, paid time off. Right. So they could take two months off if they wanted or expense reporting. There was no really any expense reporting or guidelines. It was spend the company money how you would spend yours. And obviously it bit them in, in the ass a few times and right, like it failed the model. But overall, when you bring in talented people with the right traits. Good intentions. Good intentions. 
You don't have to control them. You don't have to micromanage them. And you have this amazing culture that builds. Well, think about how much more scalable that is, right? You know, if you want to wrote, create a, uh, this is how to be a Netflix employee dot doc. And people have to read that and imbibe it. And it, it, it's sort of this very bureaucratic, top-down, dictatorial thing. As opposed to it being social, cultural enforcement that you see from the people that are around you. Well, this is just the way that things are done here. This is the way. And obviously this can happen in toxic workplaces as well on the reverse. You have somebody that comes in who's really, really growth-minded and great, and everybody else is dragging their feet. So it can work both for and against you. But if you're intentional with it, it's so much more scalable because you don't need to constantly be watching everyone over the shoulder. You don't need to have as many rules and procedures. What a procedure, and uh, like an operational report is, is basically an external constraint to try and limit people that don't get it just innately. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're just, you're trying to create this set of guidelines and, and rules and restrictions so that even an idiot can do this. So me and my business partner, I run nightclubs, I have done for a long time. We would operationalize everything. But this is because we were working with 18-year-olds. They were children one year ago, right? You know, they were in school, not even in what we would call college, or like high school, two years ago. So it's the first time they've been in a business like this. They needed everything laying out for them. And over time, you'd see these, you know, 18-year-old party boys come in and they become managers. And by the time they got to 21, 22, maybe they'd done a placement year with us, maybe we'd had them on full time. You'd just be completely hands off. You just say, look, here's a problem. Just go, you, you, you know the sort of solution that we're looking for. You understand what it is that we're trying to do. But especially when you've got a company that you're hiring individually, slowly, for a very specific intentional purpose, I think that you can afford. I found out that for the first, I want to say it's for the first, like, 200 hires at SpaceX, Elon Musk dealt with them personally. I feel, I feel like I heard he say, he said he still hires a lot of them. Uh, that wouldn't surprise inter- me. Interviews and hires. Tyler Cowen just wrote a book called Talent. And in that, he, he uses this example. The fact that Elon, richest man on the planet, was involved personally in the hiring of most of the people for the first half decade or more of the business and very much maybe still be now as well. I mean, I think it's smart. Here's a, here's a clear <coughs> example of, of where we found some struggles in that. I mean, I will say scaling a business is hard. And and why it's so hard, it's not necessarily hard because you're trying to acquire new customers or figuring out where to spend your marketing dollars. It is hiring the right people and bringing the right people on the team. And uh, going back to controls, so a few months ago, you know, we're growing, we're adding people onto the team, and we have this company vehicle, this company car. It's called the BPN truck. It's wrapped in BPN uh, logos and it looks pretty cool. And someone on the team took this truck out for a weekend to use for an event and they brought it back and I went to get in it Monday and it was a mess. They were empty cans all over the place, wrappers, uh, camera equipment was still in there. It wasn't cleaned out. And I got pretty angry. So I created this new system in this new dock where if you wanted to use the BPN truck, you had to sign it out. You had to uh, do this this checklist of checking for all these pieces. Almost like if you go to enterprise and you run a vehicle, you go through the, the checklist. It was like that. And then it got to a point where no one wanted to even use the vehicle anymore because it was a pain in the ass. Yep. So I got rid of that. And I was like, what, looking back, what was I thinking? I, I was, I took a situation where I could have used that as a learning experience and, and development. And I added these constraints 
to micromanage people who I empower do and make big decisions in the business. You don't trust them to bring a truck back in a not shit state. It's ridiculous, right? It's like I understand the compulsion though, you know, it's, it's the reason for all of this bureaucracy. It's why people in companies like to do this. You know, I mean, on the flip side of that as well, there are certain principles, I think, especially in our personal lives, it, it doesn't seem very romantic or very natural to kind of implement that. But Ben Bergeron, uh, the guy from CFNE, he's got this rule. I think it's 5 p.m. 5 p.m. he leaves uh, his gym. It doesn't matter what's happening. Apparently, consistently, they're in a really important meeting, sometimes with people from outside of the company, and they're all sat around a table. And it's 4.58, and Ben starts packing his stuff up. And the people that work for Ben know what's going on. But everybody else sort of doesn't. And Ben's laptop's away, and he's putting it in the bag. And he's still talking, yeah, da, 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 moving away. And then it's 4.59, and Ben's, right, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm off. Even if it's in the middle of the most important meeting. So there's certain things, certain principles, I think, that you can implement in that way that provide very good guardrails. But I think that it's when you begin to create a, an entire enterprise-style check-in, check-out system that that stops being a principle that is scalable and that people understand. It's like, bring the truck back in a good state, right? M- make sure that there's always gas in the tank. Like, don't be an idiot with it. That's a good principle. The entire checklist that takes people 30 minutes to fill in is somehow different. I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, ben Francis, yep, a Jim few Shark. weeks ago, Jim Shark CEO, and uh, he came into Austin for a weekend and was able to just talk to him. And I learned more from Ben, spending a few hours from him than I've learned in a long time. And uh, what he said a few really good things, but one of the things he said was, you know, there there are one of three things is going to hold your business back from growing. It might be one thing, it might be two, it might be all three. If it's all three. You're shit out of luck. It's product, brand, and people. If you have a crap product, you're only going to sell so much of it. You're never going to sell enough to be a, an impactful company. Brand. If your brand just isn't there, if, if you don't have a mission, a story, if there's no depth to that brand, it is shallow. It will die off. It'll fizzle out. But what holds most businesses and brands and companies back is the people. Because as you grow and evolve, you're always hiring, right? And if you don't develop those people, I mean, that that is a responsibility of the business owner, entrepreneur, managers, and leaders. You have to be developing your team constantly because as soon as you stop developing them and helping them grow in their role and onto the next role, they're stagnant, they die. And what happens when they're stagnant and they die, the business is stagnant and it dies. So there's those three things to always be assessing a business by if you want to keep pushing forward and growing. If you want to be an industry leader, you got to be good at all three of those. Going back to how you're operating personally, one of your coaches says it's better to be consistently good than occasionally great. And it seems like consistency is one of the things that you probably excel at. What are the frameworks or supporting structures that you have that help you to maintain consistency? Yeah, you know, I, I never really realized that consistency was a quality trait of mine up until maybe a year and a half ago. And it was Jordan Utter, our media director, that said to me, Nick, you are one of the most consistent people I've ever met. It made me think, 
Yeah, I guess I, I guess I am like pretty consistent. That is my competitive advantage. That is what I I excel in. If I look back, I'll take you back to to high school and then going into college. I was never this stud athlete. I was never this stud student. I was very average, very average. You know, when I was playing sports in in middle school and high school, I was never starting. I didn't make varsity in, in multiple of those sports. I wanted to play collegiate baseball. I wanted to go to the pros. That just wasn't in my deck of cards. My brother, who's three years younger than me, he was a stud. But I always showed up. I always showed up, put in the work, did what I had to do. And for me, I just couldn't get good enough in those two years that I needed to to excel to go to that next level. And then when I got to college, I joined the Army ROTC program. I knew I was going to go into the Army. My plan after the Army was actually to be a chicken farmer in central Pennsylvania. That's where I thought I would be at 31 years old. Didn't think I'd be here. And uh, joined the Army, started my business. And when I started the business in 2012, it was never, I need to make this much money. I need to get the business to this level by this time. It was just this very patient approach of, I'm just going to do this until it turns into something. I'm just going to show up every single day, day after day, brick by brick. And I really didn't see much traction. I mean, I saw these small wins, but when I got to South Korea with the army on a nine month rotation, what happened was I told myself, I want to make $10,000 a month in revenue. By the time I leave South Korea, I'm going to give myself nine months to do this. When I got there, we were doing $2,000 a month in revenue. So we were doing about 25, between 20 and $25,000 a year in revenue with BPN. This was 2016. And my approach was, I'm going to try to learn at least one new thing every single day. If I learn at least one new thing every single day, by the time I leave South Korea and come back to the States, I'm going to have this toolbox of new things that I learned. So that's what I did. I didn't watch any TV, didn't watch any movies, didn't do any socializing. The military was my priority job. But when I got off of work, it was teaching myself how to develop websites, how to uh, design labels, how to use Photoshop, how to edit videos, how to tell stories, how to how to build a brand. What is a brand? Like all these aspects of building a business. And within 90 days of being in South Korea, we went from $2,000 a month in revenue to $10,000 a month in revenue. And what I realized then was it was almost like this snowball was slowly picking up. My consistency from the years leading up to that point have finally compounded. It's like investing in the stock market or a business. Like you invest at a certain point and that money just slowly starts to compound over time and it grows and grows and grows. And you don't see it day after day. You don't look back and say like, holy crap, look what I made yesterday or today or tomorrow. It is, look what I made over the last five, six, seven, ten 10 years. And that's where I realized that all I got to do is just keep showing up and chipping away. I'm not going to change the world. I'm not going to change my business. I'm not going to change my life overnight. But I bet you in 10, 15, 20 years, I can be somewhere where I'm really happy and proud to be. And that just became a part of my life. Consistency has just been part of my life since then. I'm, I'm, I'm very disciplined. I know what I need to do. And I think most people do. Most people know what they need to do 
from the time they wake up to the, t- the time they go to sleep, what do they need to do every single day to get to where they want to be? You think that's true? You I, think- I think I think people, if they really take inventory of, of their thoughts and priorities, they know what they have to do. But what people end up doing, and I, I'll tell you a story about this, what people end up doing is they look for the shortcuts. I know what I have to do, but it's going to take me 10 years. How can I find a shortcut? When I was in college, here's my story. I wanted to make money, right? I wanted to make money because I was tired of overdrafting my bank account. I was tired of having no money for supplements. Like I was tired of being broke in college. So what I did is I would email all of these companies, these brands, these companies, these marketing agencies in central Pennsylvania and out near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I would say, hey, I will... I will paint your logo and I will wrap my car in in your branding and I will drive around all over this college if you pay me 100 bucks a month. I knew that wasn't the answer to, to get rich and make money. I knew that wasn't the answer to, to be successful, but I wanted a quick buck. I could have invested that time into studying or, or getting a job somewhere else or doing anything, but I was like, how do I make the, the fastest dollar easiest of something I'm already doing? And I think a lot of people apply that mindset to everything they do in life. They know what it's going to take to train for this marathon. They know what it's going to take to get stronger in the gym. They know what it's going to take to get this next job promotion or build this business. I tell people on social media, I tell people through storytelling, I don't sugarcoat it. Like this is what it took for me to get from point A to point B. It was really fucking hard to get to this point in business. It was really hard, but I didn't do anything extra special out of the ordinary. I don't have a secret key that unlocked some door that has all the secrets of building a business. I was just very consistent day in, day out. I think that's the problem with the narrative that we've got around success at the moment, especially reality TV where people just get plucked out of obscurity and then thrown to the top of a mountain where 2 million people know them and they've got a fast fashion deal for a couple of million bucks a year. It What it teaches young people about what success consists of is not that you're supposed to do something consistently for a very, very long time that adds value until you eventually reach success. It's that you're supposed to be part of this like Hunger Games-style lottery where you get picked out of nowhere and then gifted acclaim for no real reason. You know, Previously, success used to mean a thing, an accolade and acclaim and admiration and fame. All of that, it existed as a byproduct of somebody doing something that was worthy of fame and accolade and success and admiration. But we've decoupled fame from that now. You can get fame purely for its own sake. People desire fame for the fact that they want to be famous and well-known, not because it's a signal that you have done something worthy of being famous, right? Like how many people, there's people that eat tons of food on YouTube and that's the way that they've managed to get themselves into some like super, super, super well-known position. Now, it, entertainment's entertainment. And if they've managed to find a niche, then, you know, more fool those of us that haven't decided to do 10,000 calorie challenges every day. But you can't say that that person adds the same sort of value as an inventor or an artist or a musician or somebody that is building something slowly and consistently over time. And take that to the nth degree, Love Island is just starting in the UK, the new season of that. And that is literally people being pulled out of obscurity. And by the time that they come out, they will be the best known, most talked about people in the entire country. But six weeks ago, 
they were just some hairdresser from the middle of Manchester. So what's changed? Okay, they were in the right place at the right time. So what's the lesson that you take from that? Not that you're supposed to do something very hard for a long period of time. That success is this dice roll that happens to select few people and has basically no correlation with hard work. It's simply about being in the right place at the right time. I also think it comes down to, I mean, to each their own, but it's like, how do you define success? Do you define What do you suc- want to be well known for? I want to, I want to leave a legacy. Like, I want my, my daughter in 10 years to say, this is who my dad was. This is what he did. This is how he changed lives. This is, this is my dad. And, you know, I spent some time with some of the, the guys that were on um, The Bachelor, that whole series. And I had some good conversations with some of the, those guys, and they told me that, you know, they went on the show, and it changed their life overnight. They were famous. People wanted to know who they were dating, what they were doing, where they were eating, all this stuff about them. But he, he, some of them told me that the best way to describe it was it was monopoly money. Yep. They, they had built this, this following overnight. They had this exposure. They had this fame. But they couldn't monetize it. It wasn't success. It was fame. Again, everyone defines success differently. But like for me, it's, it's legacy. It's very fragile, that sort of fame. So I'm, I was the first person through the door of season one of Love Island in the UK. So I know the process from that. And you come off and people are interested in surface level stuff. But the difference between, and the show is significantly bigger now. There is a caveat that, you know, now it, it really does propel you to sort of superstardom. But the difference between the sort of following and interest that I had coming off the back of that reality TV show and being on TV an hour a night for a month and where I've got to now with the show, which has been nearly 500 episodes over four years is night and day. And even if you were to say, well, you could go on Love Island now, give up the show, go on Love Island now, win it, get all of the accolade. It's still more fragile. That person is still in a worse place than somebody that has built something. And the the other thing as well is it's strange about consistency. Far more people are talented or enthusiastic about something than they are consistent. I, I see people that take up a new pursuit or sport and they find I've got, I'm pretty adept at this in the early stages or that they've got tons and tons of motivation because it's new and there's novelty. But what about 18 months from now when you've done this a million times and your talent's being competed away by all of the other people who were just as talented as you and are now 18 months deep? Well, that's where consistency comes in. And the weird thing is that if you see the world as lacking consistency, that has to be the thing, that has to be the point of highest leverage because that's the weakness that most people don't have. It's like, look, you can separate yourself from the pack so much more easily by being consistent than be by, by being talented or enthusiastic. There's this stat that I, I love about podcasts. Uh, 90% of podcasts don't make it past episode three. And of the 90% that do, 90% don't make it past episode 20. So by making 21 podcast episodes, you're in the top percent of all podcasters ever in history. Consistency beats talent and enthusiasm. I like tying the word endurance with consistency. You can apply this to anything. This is not just endurance through through training and sports, but if you look at it, like how how did I get to 
a 248 marathon, I ran a lot of slow miles. You know, in order to run faster, you have to run slower. You have to build your aerobic base and foundation that is running below your max aerobic heart rate. These runs are pretty boring, right? Like you're, you're putting out this low effort because you're trying to train aerobically so your body can utilize oxygen efficiently. And you have to run a lot of miles below your max aerobic heart rate. Be very consistent and disciplined in this, in this space and it builds endurance over time. It allows you to run faster and run longer. There's no shortcut to it. You have to log the miles. It might take months. In my case, it took years. Years of running slow miles consistently day in, day out in order to build endurance. Endurance is also applied to, to life, right? Like as you're going through life, what is going to happen? You're going to have obstacles. You're going to have speed bumps. There's going to be resistance. I look at it almost in terms of going up hills. Like when, when I'm riding a bike or I'm running, it always feels like I'm either going up a hill or I'm running or riding into a headwind. There are headwinds and hills everywhere. That's good. That's a resistance. It's pushing back on you. It's telling you you're alive. Keep pushing through. Those obstacles should be there. Life is this massive endurance event where as you start going, this goes back to consistently good rather than occasionally great. If you try to be occasionally great all the time, you're going to burn out. You're going to bonk. You're just going to stop. You're going to have to sit there for 10 minutes, get your shit back together, and then pick up and keep going. But if you keep going consistently good and you just keep trucking along, keep moving forward, and you know there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be speed bumps, there's going to be resistance, there's going to be hills, and there's going to be headwinds all the time. But just keep driving through it consistently. It's not always going to be fun. It's going to suck. You're going to fail. It's going to hurt. It's probably pretty uncomfortable majority of the time. You're probably going to get some chafage between your legs. That's just going to happen. But that builds endurance. And when you look back over a period of time, you think, huh, I actually made some progress through this because I was consistently good rather than trying to be or look occasionally great. How do you deal with when the suck comes then? Not in physical training. I'm talking about in life with consistency. You get up at 5 a.m. pretty much every single day. I, when you've got business stress, YouTube stress, family stress, new baby on the way, competing for this time, the internet's watching you and every runner on the planet hates you. Why is it? Or what is it that you do? Where do you go to on the days when you wake up and it really, really is difficult when the suck comes? I'm going to ask the question, if not me, then, then who? Like I am, I am in complete control of where my life is going and ends up. We all are. And as soon as you accept that, that no one else is, no one else cares as much about your goals than you do. And if someone cares more about your goals for you than you do, you're probably doing it for the wrong reason or you don't care enough. So from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep, I think no one wants what I want as much as I do and no one ever will. And that's how it should be. And I am directly responsible for what I accomplish and don't accomplish. If I don't accomplish it, I have to take responsibility. I'm accountable. That means I failed my employees. It means I failed my my wife, my family. I failed. And that comes down to me. So it's constantly realizing that I'm responsible. 
taking that responsibility, owning that responsibility. I don't think enough people do. That can add a lot of pressure on though. You know, that can feel overwhelming. This is on my shoulders. The successes are mine to bear. The failures are mine to bear. Does that not sometimes make you feel overwhelmed? All the time. Okay, so how do you deal with the overwhelm? A lot of it is, to be honest, just it's talking it out loud, sitting down with my wife and like explaining. And it's not venting. Venting and complaining is, is a lot different from just communicating. Sometimes like it typically happens at dinner or after dinner. I let my wife know like what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through, like how, how can we find solutions for this? And I honestly have a really solid team here at BPN. And sometimes I'll sit down with, with my VP of marketing, media director, cat, my brother, like anyone here in the business. And I just kind of say, this is what's happening right now. I need some help. And they are always very quick to jump in and offer solutions and help. I, I, I realized I am in a very, I have a very amazing opportunity with amazing people surrounding me. And a few months ago, we, we recorded this documentary called More Than the Miles. Our team went out to Leadville, Colorado. We did Leadville 100. It was a 100-mile ultramarathon. And uh, we, we completed it as a team. And the one thing we kept saying out there was, you can go really fast alone, but you can go so much further together. So even though I, I feel that responsibility, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed for what I feel like is on my shoulders, and I want to make this very evident, the reality is it's not all on my shoulders. Because my team, my family, my wife, they are bought in as much as I'm bought in. They, they weigh that burden of responsibility almost as much as I do. And I don't ask them to. I never do. But when you surround yourself and you bring really good people on your team and in your life, they will take that responsibility and accountability and they will hold some of that so that you don't have to hold it all. Even though you feel like you are, they help out so much. This is the interesting point, right? So this is precisely where I think a lot of people get stuck. You spend a lot of time crafting a life built around your ability to get things done. As you progress through life, you start to need the assistance of other people. And other people just gravitate toward the stuff that you're doing. Then as the stakes become higher, you have to realize that you need to rely on other people. But that's not what got you here. What got you here was relying on yourself. So now you need a new skill set. Mm -hmm. You can't continue to leverage your time. You have to outsource. You have to delegate. You have to ask for help. You have to relinquish control. And it's that, that exact point, I think, that is what's very interesting. How do people let go of a strategy that they know was effective for them in the past. They know that they were a solo ranger that was able to get things done simply by the sweat of their brow. And now the stakes are so high that they can't continue to do that. And if they try, it's going to be, they're going to get burned out. How is it that they get from solo ranger to somebody that now can allow other people in that can open up, that can be vulnerable, that can show weakness, that can ask for help? That, that I think is one of the most important elements. And I think it's <clears throat> one of the 
ceiling caps that a lot of people get to when it comes to uh, their growth, uh, whether it be personally in business, um, emotionally, spiritually as well, that the tools that got them here are not the same ones that are going to get you there. The things that you did that got you from naught to 75 are not what's going to get you from 75 to 90 or from 90 to 95. You have to invite that in. There's a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Mm. And we say it here all the time. Once you finally invite that in and recognize it, and it's, 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 it's really hard to invite in because you're saying, what took you from zero to 75 was great. It was fun. I'm pretty comfortable with it. I enjoy being in here and operating there. We could operate here the rest of our life and do really well, but we're just going to stay right there. Or do we want to go all in, put all of our chips and risk it all and bet on ourselves? And do we want to kind of, I don't want to say forget what we did from zero to 75, but we now need to establish a new plan to get from 75 to 100. And once you invite that in and recognize that, that's where we're at with BPN right now. We say it all the time. We can't keep looking back on, on what we did in the past. We need to look at what we're going to do in the future. Jesse Itzler says this one thing. He says he doesn't hang his hat on any of his previous accomplishments. Any of the businesses that he sold, which he sold for a lot of money, the books he's read, the things he's done, you will never find him talking about that where he's hung his hat on that. Well, back in the day, I sold this business for this much money and that's who I am. No, he's, he's talking about what he's doing this year and what he's doing in the future. Because what got him to this point was great. But what gets him to phase two won't work the same way. In business or in life, we all have an edge. That edge is what makes us us. Like BPN has an edge. I have an edge. You got to know your edge. And that edge will be with you from the time you are born to the time you die. Maintain that edge. Keep that edge moving forward because that, that's what makes you you. That's what makes your brand your brand. That's why people followed you in the first place. That edge has to maintain. But something else has to change to get from 75 to 100. The hardest part in life is that usually comes down to people. Are the right people in your life? that you need to be surrounding yourself with. Sometimes people will hold you back. Like, are, you, are, you, are you selecting people to be in your life as your friends, as your employees, as your coworkers, as your mentors that are helping you and allowing you to grow and develop? Or are they keeping you at 75 and 75 is stuck? Or are you keeping yourself at 75 by not letting anybody else in? I think that I see this a lot on the internet, especially with guys, right? You know, we've got to, a very individualistic atomized meritocracy as a society at the moment, you know, and there is a little bit of romanticism around the monk mode, solo ranger going and getting after it himself or herself. But I, I do think that there are far more people than admitted to themselves that are scared. They're scared of the fact that if they open this up, this is uncharted territory for them that they need to have faith in other people and that there is something safe, familiar, reassuring about just doing it yourself and about not, not relying too much on other people. You, you spoke there about, you know, betting on yourself and, and trusting your gut, which I think is uh, the intuition thing is a big part of how you make decisions. 
Where's that bravery come from? Is that just something that's innate in you? Do you ever have self-doubt? Because a lot of people, smart people that like to read and are sort of cerebral and cognitively minded, they can talk themselves out of something that every fiber of their being mm-hmm. is screaming at them to do. I think it comes from experience. There's been a lot of times where I haven't trusted my gut and I've tried to resort to something I've read or heard someone else say or do. And I think as much as my gut is telling me to choose option A, all of my experience from other people, this guy that I know, this girl that I've come across, this podcast I listen to, it's telling me to choose option B. And as soon as I commit to option B, it fails. And I think, ah, should have listened to my gut. Over time, it comes with reps. You just need to get more reps in. It's okay like fail your entire life at things. Failing is getting reps in. Sometimes you're going to make the right choice. Sometimes you're going to make the wrong choice. It happens. But the more reps you get, the more comfortable knowing, just based off your gut feeling, intuition, what should I be doing? And a lot of that time, it comes down to making decisions based off your foundational values and principles. I've learned over time that if I make decisions based off of my valuable values and principles and, and morals, that is my compass that will always point me in the right direction. And I know what that looks like and I know what that feels like. I think it is a bigger question and debate to open up of a lot of people have never built their life on a foundation of values, principles, and morals. And if you don't have that val- that foundation built, I mean, what are you building off of? You got to build off of something that is solid. And if it's not solid, it's just going to crumble. What are the values and principles that you rely on? Integrity, transparency with my team, um, having strong faith, being dependable, um, selfless service. Some of those are just some of the values. Some of those I learned in the military. A lot of those I learned from (coughs) family growing up, my mom. A lot of them I've learned through being an entrepreneur and a business owner and being responsible for other people. And you learn through that. When you're put in a leadership position or you experience good and bad leadership, you realize what people are looking for. What helps people move forward? How, how, how does it help people in the mission, the organization overall accomplish something together? I think that that foundation is absolutely essential. And it's one of those things like you can't build your foundation off of your mentors or whoever you follow on social media or your favorite person, it's got to be a really honest conversation with yourself of taking inventory and stock. What are your priorities? What do you truly value? Like, What does your life look like in five to 10 years as success? How do you define success? You know, like I I think that's one thing that a lot of people misunderstand is like success doesn't it's not this one area of life. Like you define success however you want. Maybe you don't care about money and you want to have a really strong family and relationship. Maybe you do care about money. Maybe you want to build a business. Maybe you, maybe you just want to be loyal to the people that are in your life. Like success means something different to everyone, but you have to define it for yourself. Cause if you don't, you're not living for yourself. That's scary. Does this, I think it's Aristotle who says, um, if a man knows not where he goes, no wind is favorable. And the point of that is, if you don't work out what success, by your own definition, you can choose. 
You can decide whatever it is that you want success to mean, but you have to choose, right? And if you don't, what you're doing is you're retrofitting other people's society's norms or the paths of least resistance or the weird ways that you've dealt with your previous traumas. That's what's defining the direction that you go in, in terms of success. This question I kept on asking people when lockdown started in the UK was, what would have had to have happened by the end of lockdown for you to look back on lockdown and consider it a success? You can have anything, right? Everybody's locked in the house. Yeah, you can't fly around the world and stuff, but you've got, we didn't know how long, but you ended up with like six months. Pick something. What would it be? Do do you want to learn to handstand? Do you want to develop a relationship with your mum? Do you want to build a new skill? What is it? Pick anything. And I think that looking at retrofitting your view of success based on what you want success to be in your life, that's the, it really is the only way to ensure that you're doing the right thing. Because if you don't, then you're going to end up at a place in life, not only that you don't want to be, but you didn't even mean to get to. Success also changes and evolves over a lifetime. If I look back at what for me was defined as success three years ago, is now very different for for my life right now and what I'm planning for in the future. Like a successful life for me now is I'm I'm very happy that I, I decided to start building my business when I did and spent the last 10 years of just hammering down to build this thing because what I realized that's allowed me to do is I can now be super present for my family and my kids in the future. Success for me, like if I had to paint you a picture of what success looks like for me in in 10 years from now and my daughter's 10 years old, maybe we have some more kids, we are on... 20 to 50 acres or on a big property with these big oak trees we have this long driveway and uh, we have animals on our property we have gardens we have produce we have chicken houses and you did end up becoming a chicken farmer i we'll see give me, give me 10 years <laughs> give me 10 years and uh I'm still working to build something, whether that's BPN or another business where I'm investing in businesses and I'm, I'm challenged every day in some sort of business environment, but I'm not working a lot. I'm choosing my hours of when I I work. Do you want to dial that back? Having spent 10 years of real nose against grindstone stuff, is that something that over the next 10 years that you're wanting to spend less time on? Absolutely. Because with my kids and my family being built out, I like for success for me, I want to be a very present father. I want to be actively involved. I don't want to be a helicopter parent, but I want to be facilitating challenges and growth and opportunities for my kids. And, you know, I had someone on the podcast last week, uh, Matt Burdell, and he's a founder of uh, Acton Academy Placer Schools. And, he comes in and helps people build out these private schools that are very unconventional. They're very entrepreneurial, growth-driven. Um, the The curriculum is kind of guided by asking questions. This is some Tim Kennedy shit, isn't it? So Matt worked with Tim to open the school here in Cedar Park. Of course he did. Matt and Tim are really good friends. You're going to send your kids to Tim's school? 
come back and they're going to be putting you in rear naked chokes and stuff at six years old? I want to open my own school. (laughs) I want to open one of the acting schools because I see that's where I can get back. That's where I can impact. All that being said, like that's where I success for me is I'm helping people grow and develop in their life and they're building the life they want. And that's from time kids are going to school. Maybe they're older, but just getting really involved in the community that I'm surrounded by and always being present there for my, for my kids. And what makes me say that is there's a, a few months ago, it might've been a year ago. I was listening to this podcast and uh, there's this guy telling the story and he spent 25 years building this business. And finally he sold that business. He sold that business for hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think he was like 55 years old, something like that. And uh, when he sold the business, he went to his family. He said, all right, guys, I'm done working. We made it. We're going to travel the world. And all of his kids looked at him and said, we don't want to travel with you. We don't even know you. You've been gone for the last 25 years of our life. The last thing we want to do is spend time with you. That for me is failure. That's what the opposite of success looks like. That is ultimate failure. How brilliant is it that this period that we're in now, I, I, I'm not a dad yet, not, not as far as I'm aware, but I, uh, I can't wait to be one. I really, really can't wait to be a dad. Uh, and when I look back at you know my dad and how hard he had to work to support me and my mom as we were growing up, it was so restrictive compared with the options that we have now. And that's not to say, you know, two parent incomes and real living wages and stuff, they are difficult. But every time that I speak to a, another guy who's about my age, who is family oriented, all of us are thinking the same thing. It's like, I can't wait to be there for my kids. I want to use all of the very nerdy hours that I've spent on my own stretching and listening to podcasts or going on walks and hearing audiobooks or reading or doing whatever. And I want to synthesize all of this, especially if you're a creator, right? You know, thousands of hours that you've spent planning, scripting, recording, editing, uploading, promoting videos. And that's been for people that you care about, right? But they're not your genetic lineage. Right. They're not, they're not that sense of you. They're not pure legacy. And now we have this, everybody that I speak to about this has the same approach. Everyone. David Perel, one of my buddies who's in Austin, he said the other day, as he imagines more and more about becoming a father, which he isn't yet, but is can't wait to be, as he imagines more and more about it, he realizes that a lot of what he did in his 20s and his early 30s was building a life that allowed him to become the father that he wants to be, even though that wasn't the goal, right? But by working hard, by giving himself freedom, by making smart choices, he's positioned himself in the place to become the sort of father that he wants to be. And that's, it seems like a very different, a much more intentional and deliberate form of parenting than pretty much anything that I've heard before. Certainly, you know, if I was to ask my dad about the way that he planned his life, it was very much just do what you can, right, to provide for the family. It, it didn't have this same degree of intentionality to it because I don't think that maybe the information was there quite so much. I also think that parents having kids earlier doesn't allow them to perhaps build, you know, parents are having kids when they not long ago were still kids. If you're a 20-year-old parent, well, 
Think about all of the stuff that you've learned. Almost everything that you value in yourself in terms of the insights you're going to pass on to your children has been developed over the last 11 years. So I just think it's really cool. It's a really, really awesome time to think about families moving forward and, and, and what it's going to facilitate in kids and what it means for, for parenting. Yeah, I mean, because I look back at, you know, when I was little, my mom was a school teacher. My mom knew she was going to be teaching in the school until she retired. There was no early retirement, right? So it's, I think we now have, it's more accessible. We have more opportunities to set ourselves up for success early on in life. If you make that decision and choice in your 20s and 30s. And that's the exact, exact way I see it. Like I now have built this career. I built this business. I built this life that allows me because the work that I put in allows me to be the father and husband I am in the future. I think of all the things I've done, failed at, accomplished, wins, losses, highs, lows, over the course of my life, if there's one thing I'm very proud of, it is that. And I say that now, but when I look back, I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful that I started when I did, like I said a, a few minutes ago, because I know what that's going to allow me to do in five, six, seven years from now. That's a really important lesson. There's no one that I speak to that's doing something that's started a, a blog or a Substack or a YouTube channel or anything, right? A business that says, I wish I'd started later. And that doesn't matter how late they started, right? Every single person is happy that they started then or perhaps that they could have done it earlier. So that's a lesson to anybody that hasn't yet or is vacillating the sat on the fence about what it, whether it is that they should or shouldn't do that. Every single person that I've spoken to about this is happy that they started when they did or earlier. Well, I think one of my greatest traits in 2012 was that I was honestly stupid. I was, I was ignorant to the risks that I was taking. And uh, while well, everyone else around me had a paralysis by analysis, I mean, I graduated with some kids who were they were geniuses. They were smart. They went to Ivy League schools. I, I was not getting into an Ivy League school. I couldn't even get into Penn State University. I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania in Western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh. I was not like this genius dude. So I think that because I was so ignorant to the risks that I was taking in 2012 when I thought, I'm going to start the supplement company all by myself and we're going to see where it gets to, I didn't know like what could happen. I didn't know how much money it was going to cost to get started. I didn't know how much money it was going to take to maintain, sustain. I didn't know cash flow. I didn't understand finances, marketing, branding, nothing. But I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I loved. I was ignorant to everything else. That's what allowed me to get started. And sometimes it's all you need is everyone's waiting for the right time, the right place, the right money. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start training for this next next year. I'm going to build this business in like in like three years from now so that when you know the time is right, I can build this business and make a lot of money in six months. Good luck with that plan. Just get started. Just, just establish the, the foothold in there and slowly start building off of it. Once you establish that foothold, you can, you can build. This is the best way to describe it. So like I talk about this dream in the, in the future of this property on 20 to 50 acres, having this, this farm with my kids and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not the type of person who's going to wait 
10 years from now to go to go buy that property. I'm actively right now looking for property. Well, that's because you know that you live in Austin, so the property is going to be five times as expensive in 10 years. Truth. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> but I want to buy that property now, and I want to start you know, changing it. I want to add some train features. In. Do you know Mike Kaju from Working Against Gravity? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so him and Adi have just got something... Uh, two hours west two hours east sorry of austin dude it's so nice it's so gorgeous similar to what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and it's oh man i went up there it's got its own little lake so you can go out boating and him and his little boy go out and they fish off this little like a little like old wooden oh dude it's spectacular they had a festival up there a couple of weeks ago it's outstanding like it's so perfect so beautiful and you just think, well, why wouldn't you do that? And why, what, if that's the sort of thing that you want to that you want to be able to provide to your family, like, why wouldn't you do that? And you're right, apart from the insane property prices in Austin. Have you ever read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport? Yes. So this is like this is a clear example of uh, a lot of times we we want to be busier, we want to be doing more. I think hustle culture is like it's evil. What what can I constantly be doing to gain the edge or get to the next level when it's not necessarily productive? It's just busy. I think Deep Work by Cal Newport is a very interesting read because it almost forces you to find opportunities in areas of solitude and presence and quietness and uh, eliminate distractions and just stop being busy. Just be present because when you are, you're going to make up so much ground in that time. Your mind is clear. It is thinking. It is firing. It is optimized. Again, that's why I like running. But I know that in the future when I am less busy, I'm more productive. That's when all my wisdom is going to kind of start unfolding. You can be present. You can think. You can you can go deep. Depth is something that we lack a lot of the times. And I always say like, you can, you can judge someone's depth. If you go to convert, if you go to dinner with someone, so you go to dinner with someone for the first time ever. And the conversation is probably going to go one of two ways. One, it's all shallow. It's all surface level. Uh, how about that weather here? Like, um, how about that coronavirus stuff? You know, you're just talking bullshit. every Uber conversation you've ever had. Oh my gosh. Where, where should I eat around here? What do you recommend? Some conversations stay there. They stay shallow and it's just boring. It's just boring. Or you can go to dinner with someone for the first time in your life and you're talking about some deep shit. Like you are reaching depth in that conversation. Those are the conversations I don't want to end. I want to have that dinner a million times over again with that person because we're actually getting somewhere. And Sometimes people have never actually had a deep conversation in their life. They live in the shallow. They live in just like the the shortness. That's boring. I want to go deep. One of the things that I think about when looking at the business and the channel and stuff that you've built is that it probably inspires a lot of people. You know, you think CEO, supplement company, massive growth, YouTube channel, hybrid athlete following of fans that genuinely seem to connect with you and care with you, care about what it is that you do it's a very uh 
envious lifestyle. But with a lot of people that are in positions like that, I think there's uh, prices that they pay that very few other people see. So what's the price that you pay for being you? The the price that I'm currently paying right now, I mean, sometimes that, that sacrifice and that, that price changes. I would say right now the price that I'm paying, I had this conversation with my wife last night. I feel like I haven't been present lately because you go from, I mean, the the list of things to do or think about or or meetings to have, they never end, right? There's always something you can be working on. And as your team grows, there's more people to be working with and helping them. And uh, I'd say that the one thing that I struggle with right now is from 5 a.m. until 11 p.m., that is a jam-packed day. There's no let up. It's, you know, we're either creating and filming content. I mean, I'm training. Um, I'm meeting with the team. We're trying to get in some wholesale retail accounts right now. We just wrapped up the seed round investment uh, a few weeks ago. I think a lot of people think that my full-time job is to train, but I train like everyone else. I train at 6 a.m. before going into work and get in the office at 8 a.m. or I train after work at 5, 6 p.m. That's when I train. When I'm at work, I'm working. The one thing that I, I can confidently say right now is I struggle with being present. It's something that I'm working to solve and fix and building out systems and plans to alleviate that, hopefully before the baby gets here. But uh, I also believe that sometimes in life there are necessary sprints. Sometimes you have to sprint through periods of time to get a lot of stuff done. As long as that sprint has you know, time that where it opens up and you can kind of decompress and, all right, that was a tough sprint. This is what we accomplished. This is where we're going to sustain. This is how we're going to improve. But sprints are going to happen in life, in business. You, you can't avoid it sometimes. But I think consciously being able to recognize and tell yourself what your weaknesses are or what you're struggling with at the moment. It'd be a bigger issue if I was going nonstop through this sprint and I didn't recognize that I wasn't present all the time. But when my wife can either call me out on it or I can tell my wife, like, I know I'm not present right now and I don't really like that. I'm not really proud of that right now. But I got to get through this moment. I think it's it, it's very strange when you've got the outcomes that occur due to you being uh, the hustle and grind getting work done person, right? From the outside, that's fantastic. But it can embed a habit where in very subtle ways, even when you think that you're being present, you're always sort of just looking over the current moment's shoulder to what's coming next. And <clears throat> one of the big things that's come up throughout this conversation is periodizing, right? Knowing that there's there's an end date to this. And a big part of that is just being able to take stock. Okay, what happened? What was good? What wasn't good? Uh, and another big part of the themes that's come up is having people around you that you can actually have that conversation with because trying to continuously, continuously just bootstrap your own introspection and reflection and growth is very, very difficult. Like you're not going to be able to call yourself out on your own bullshit and your own blind spots anywhere near as well as somebody else that's going along with you. So yeah, man, I, uh, I'm really excited to see what comes next for you. You know, one of the best things I've learned how to do, and 
I recommend listeners uh, do to, to kind of alleviate some of these issues. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you in certain areas of your life. Hire people who are smarter and more experienced than you. It will quickly humble you. Like the the last couple of people I have hired for the BPN team, they have more experience. They're smarter than me in certain areas of the business, but they have helped me grow so much. If you can find mentors, if you can find friends or people in your life, whether hiring them into your business or just you know, running with them on a weekend, surrounding yourself with people who have been there and done it, who, who might be able to provide you some valuable information and mentor you, that helps you grow so much. And that has been super beneficial in terms of building a business, building a team in the hiring process. Nick Bear, ladies and gentlemen, if people want to keep up to date with what it is that you're doing, where should they go? Instagram is Nick Bear Fitness. YouTube, just type in Nick Bear. I have almost 800 videos on there, most of them with my shirt off. You're bound to see me. And then uh, the podcast is the Bear Performance Podcast. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you.